Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The discussion's still going on from two weeks back about public prayer, but now it's gone from charging those behind the pulpit to those before it. Do you only pray privately? Maybe you hesitate to say grace over your organic, free-range, non-GMO veggie burger. You might not after this conversation. We are at an undisclosed location. We're out to dinner, and um, oh, here comes our food, guys. And I think it's time we should probably say grace. I we usually ask Carl to say grace before our meals. But he's, he's normally embarrassed to pray in public. That's the problem. Yeah, but we know that we get a nice quick prayer over the meal when we ask <laughs> yeah. Carl. My my standard grace is, oh Lord, we thank you for this food. Amen. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, heads he gets up, right eyes open. Don't yeah. let anybody know. And yeah. as we're all smelling our delicious dishes, um, we can be thankful and, and then dig in. So that should open us up then to talk about. We we just did a bully pulpit on uh, pastoral prayer and prayer in church, and today we'd like to open it up and talk a little bit more about just praying in public, praying with others. Yeah, I you know it's interesting because um, when when we go out uh, f- for a meal and just as a family and and we we bow our heads to pray i i can't help but think every once in a while i wonder what this looks like um to folks i wonder if it's if it's if it's noticed i remember one time when i was a kid and our family prayed uh somebody paid for our meal um and put and passed us a note saying thank you for for praying so i would recommend it just as a means for getting a free meal uh possibly a mini wow. prosperity doctrine yeah yeah, yeah. it paid off prayer works <laughs> I remember being in Grand Rapids, and I won't mention the person's name because they're a famous Grand Rapids pastor. Ooh. In 1996, I went to Pizza Hut with my family and his family, and he asked if he could pray before the meal. And I kid you not, he stood up and delivered what must have been a 10-minute pulpit prayer <laughs> before the dinner, including quotations from the Puritans. I remember one line, the only line I remember is, as the great Puritan Thomas Watson reminds us. <laughs> I was in Pizza Hut in Grand Rapids. You can almost get away with it in Pizza Hut in Grand Rapids 20 years ago. But even well, there, I, I was going to say, probably everybody else in that Pizza Hut was doing the same thing since it was yeah. Grand Rapids. But that, tra- that traumatized me in terms of public grace. That's why well, I my grandfather used to always say, like, if you're praying too long before the meal, that means you have not been adequately taking care of your personal prayer time. <laughs> Don't be doing that before the meal. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I tell people, if you pray for one minute, I'll pray with you. If you pray for two minutes, I'll pray for you. If you pray for three minutes, I'll pray against you. <laughs> so. Well, we summed up that then. Yeah. I think that wraps us up for today then, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of the totality of our thoughts for praying in public. No, but, but praying, for, praying in public, what, what we want to kind of examine here for a few moments is, um, as opposed to what we've talked about before, praying um, in corporate worship service, leading people in worship in a corporate service, uh, praying out there in public, praying in a restaurant, praying for people, uh, praying in public settings. What do we think about it? Um, how, how can it be a, a, a means uh, to witness or not? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I find it I, – I, I think my, my English psyche kicks in here. I always find that awkward. I even find it awkward when I'm on – sometimes I'll be on the phone to somebody and they'll say, can we pray? And they'll pray on the phone with me. And it always feels weird to me. 
Uh-huh. It's not wrong, and I think it may be. It may well be right, but instinctively, I feel it's weird. Right. To me, prayer is something I do on my own with my family or in church. Now, hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying it isn't right to pray with other people in other context. It is. I'm just saying I'm not used to it, and therefore, I find it hard to do that. I'm not in my comfort zone when I'm doing that. Well, it's your it's your godless pagan Western European mindset, isn't it? It is. Religion is a private thing. I even, you know, when a politician in the UK talks about praying, I just instinctively think I'm being played, even as a Christian, well, which is what I makes America so, so strange. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, the yeah. mad woman brought something interesting up in conversation that she heard um, in her last sermon about, you know, when. Her last sermon. I'm sorry, I did say that wrong. I misspoke. The last <laughs> sermon she sat under. Okay. She heard that um, some advice on prayer. Um, if somebody asks for prayer in a certain area, and it's, this could be an unbeliever in that context, mm-hmm. why not stop and pray for them right there and then instead of just saying, okay, I, I'm going to pray for you about that? Yeah. I, I think that's a – I think that ought to be probably more normal for us than it is yeah. personally because – I've had experience with offering to pray for people who don't know Christ, and I've never once had somebody say, please don't do that. And, and I've never had an experience where an unbeliever didn't express real gratitude uh, for that. Now, again, you don't use prayer as some kind of a crass technique to, to then right. do the witnessing. I mean, you genuinely pray for them because we believe mm-hmm. that prayer is efficacious. But I, I think it has the added blessing to being something that, that moves the heart of an unbeliever because uh, they can't help escape the knowledge that there is a God Mm -hmm. and that they need him as much as they may resist that knowledge. And I think we're here in part to remind them of that. And I think praying for someone who doesn't know Christ yet uh, when they have a genuine need is a legitimate means um, to open up further dialogue uh, in pointing them to the Lord. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I need to, you know, I need to get out of my comfort zone on these things because yeah. I'm, I'm feeling the pinch. I, I heard the sermon that the mad woman heard last night as well, and it was, it was very powerful. And that point really went home that this can be a way of, of witnessing to to non-believing friends and colleagues and maybe just people you meet. Uh, it's 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 something very very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, one one example that, and this was unusual. I was uh, I was at a high school basketball game. And a um, this was just a few years ago, and one of the players sustained a, a a pretty serious injury. He went up in the air, came right down flat on his head, and was knocked silly. I mean, he he was out for a little while, and um, the, a hush came over the place. People that were there knew I was a pastor. Somebody motioned me over out of the stands to come down to him, and we I gathered there. His mom came over. He was laying flat out on the floor, and um, I. I I was asked to pray for him uh, right there on on the court, and it was a it was a moving moment and a, and a, and a means to to give public witness not only to the people that were there but to that family, and it was an opportunity in a very small way uh, to pastor them there. And you could tell the family was very grateful. Story ends well, but it was a it was a scary moment and an odd one in a public basketball high school game right. where everybody stopped and said, "This is a time to pray." That's interesting. I have a basketball story, too, that's related. My, um, my half-twin brothers play at a high school, and um, there was a shooting 
last season during the game right outside of the school and it you know caused mass chaos and everybody had to run to the locker rooms and um it was gang related outside and um anyway my dad was there and the boys and my son and he said that a teenage girl from the school got up on one of the tables i think it was and led everyone in prayer mm. and he just said it was a very powerful moment because those are people that he's with that he normally doesn't talk to about his faith. And all of a sudden, everybody's ready to have their heads bowed and to seek the Lord in that um, very scary time. Question then, if you're praying with unbelievers, should you pray for anything other than their repentance and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or if you're going to pray for other things, should that not be a component part of any prayer you pray with them or on their behalf? Yeah, that's a a good question. I would say... Yeah, I mean, I would say that there are times, I, I think certainly as you're praying for a lost person, certainly, at least in an interior sense, we're, we're pleading with the Lord to bring them to repentance. I, I think it's legitimate, though, to have times where we're praying for a specific need in their life um, without also, at that point, at least, you know, at least publicly for them, uh, for the Lord to turn their heart. I, I think that can be appropriate. Um, Lord, I pray for my friend right now also that you'd turn their heart, bring them to faith. But I think it's also legitimate to just, you know, pray for their their situation with their cancer or or the need in their child's life. I, I, I think that that's a sufficient part at times of a complex of witness uh, that, that we bring to them. At least that's off the cuff. I, th- I think that's, that's appropriate. Some of the things that I think about in praying for an unbeliever, especially in a time like that, is the questions on their own mind about God when mm-hmm. they're going through something like that. Mm-hmm. Why am I suffering if there's a God? And, and those kind of things. So um, one thing that I like to try to incorporate into the prayer is the providence of God and the goodness of God and, and, and to use all these things um, for His glory and, and to make us more like Christ. So um, I try to add that in there because I know that's what they're thinking some. Yeah. too. And and again praying with with the knowledge that Romans 1 is true mm-hmm. even if they're an unbeliever they have a knowledge of God that they cannot escape. And so by by praying for them um we are confirming that that haunting in their conscience mm-hmm. that gives witness to the truth a, 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 a witness that they've been seeking to avoid and seeking to suppress. Mm-hmm. We're going straight there when we're praying for them. And I think that's mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah, that that brings me to a point that actually we didn't raise on the question about pulpit prayer, but I think is apposite there as well as here. And that is, it's good to inform your prayers with scriptural references, allusions, quotations. Yes, mm-hmm. because then you're actually taking people to the Word as well. Yes. So as yeah. you pray, throw Bible verses in, not necessarily <laughs> explicitly so, but weaving that language of the Bible mm-hmm. in, Absolutely. because then it's God's Word, and it's, it's not a sermon, but it's God's Word, and can be applied to the heart of the person that you're speaking to or with at that particular moment. Yeah, yeah. God's given us a, a vocabulary to use that is unique uh, mm-hmm. for Christians. It's a, it's a baptized language, if you like, and, and, and God's given us a vocabulary for prayer that we ought to use, that we ought to take advantage of, because mm-hmm. we believe there's something powerful about that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you even see that in Scripture, like the end of Acts 4 there, where they're praying for boldness. Um, they're, they're praying God's word back to them. You said this, you know, and so mm-hmm. we can bring up God's promises. And, and even in praying lament with someone else, God's words are just so much richer than my own to use sometimes. Yes. Yes. Psalm 88. Psalm 88 mm-hmm. is the lament psalm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I would also add, as, as we think about this praying out in public, let's, let's all along the way, of course, heed uh, Jesus' warnings that our praying in public does not become uh, some sort of mm, outward yeah. display of, of self-righteousness. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, know, I'm, you know, we're not going to bow our heads and pray at the table because, you know, that's just we're good people and we're going to do we, we always have to check our heart. Mm-hmm. Um, on that, not not to keep us from doing what's right, but but to be reminded that we have this <laughs> we have this desire oftentimes that comes in to want to show off our our acts of righteousness. So yeah. always keep that in mind as well. That's why I don't like these prayer walk ideas. There seems to be mm. something rather sanctimonious about mm. about many of them. We had some guy. I won't mention his name. Some of the listeners will know who it is. Did a prayer walk at the seminary because of all the evil being perpetrated <laughs> by the administration uh, 12, 18 yeah. months ago. I mean, it was just sad to see somebody being so sanctimonious yeah. and frankly so well, childish. But I would make a distinction between that yeah. and the kind of prayer we're praying, we're, we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. I, I would, let me throw something in there because there are brothers and sisters out there who do, you know, for instance, prayer walks through their neighborhood. And I would want to throw in the caveat that saying, because I agree, if you're walking around making an ostentatious display of your praying, yeah. that's a problem. If you're taking a walk through your neighborhood, and pray for your neighbors as you, yeah. you know, go by. You know, but Just yes. don't advertise it. Don't make a big yes. deal of it. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. So you've tried to de-offensivize my deliberately offensive comment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm impressed. I, I'm impressed. I, I do want to say, though, I do want to say, if you feel moved... Uh, to go to Westminster to pray for them because of the Dallas theological conspiracy um, that has been going on um, at Westminster, then by all means, yes. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we're, we're glad that you uh, took some time to, uh, uh, to listen in on the conversation. Uh, we do believe in praying in public. We do believe in, in praying with and for lost people. Um, but always, always keep in mind Jesus' warnings against uh, self-righteous displays. Um, but, but don't let that dissuade you uh, from the important uh, work of prayer and the important public witness that we can give to those who still need Christ so desperately. So thanks for listening in with us at Mortification of Spin. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and we will talk to you next time. The moment I wake up Before I put on my makeup I say a little prayer for you, yeah I'll foam in my head now And I wonder what that's doing now I say a little Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. This week on the podcast page, we're offering a free message to continue the conversation. Head over to mortificationofspin.org to listen to The Holy Prayers of a Righteous People, a talk given by Phil Johnson at the 2014 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. And come back next week when the gang talks about eschatology with guest Greg Beal. I downloaded 
on iTunes U, your whole talk on uh, New Testament biblical theology. And right away in your first talk, you go in strong with this eschatological language and you say, eschatology is the key to our spiritual lives. And then you kind of half-jokingly but also seriously say that you're thinking about teaching a class or maybe writing a book on eschatology and enjoying your mate. Because you, you talk about how if you have a proper understanding of eschatology, it will really improve your marriage. So I wanted to ask you to expand on that a little bit and what your thoughts were there. Join us then. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to listen to Phil Johnson's The Holy Prayers of a Righteous People. Awful. Have you taken your family to Disney, Carl? No, I took him to Chuck E. Cheese's. It's smaller. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you have loved to have seen Carl Truman at a Chuck E. Cheese? Yes. (laughs) I was, I was pretty good at that Whack a Mole game. I used I used to win lots of tokens on Whack a Mole. It's kind of your job at Westminster, isn't it? I'm good at hitting things. (laughs) (laughs) Carl's like a child. If you put a hammer in his hand, everything becomes a nail. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. Probably. Hammer in the morning. Hammer in the evening. All over this land. land. Anyway, recording. Kick us off. Do it. Okay.